Good morning, everybody. Y'all are in here partying and talking to everybody, and that's awesome. I love it. Um, welcome to Adult Bible Study at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Longman. Um, we're in uh, the book of Revelation, continuing. Of course, we're recording for our podcast here. Um, I have no clue what session it is. It's 50-something or other. Um, as usual, let's start with uh, any questions that you have about anything. How was the garage sale? It was a rummage sale. We had to call it that to not run afoul of the law. It was stellar. Um, stellar? Stellar. I think, well, you were here. You saw it. Um, <laughs> I got some of the stuff. Yeah, Robert made a contribution. Um, we cleared, I, I think, I mean, the number that we know for sure is a, a little over 3,000 right now. Wow. Um, but there's some IOUs that are yet to be filled, so it's probably going to be close to 3,200, maybe more. And, and you're a minimalist. You bought four hats. What are you talking about? <laughs> four hats and this and that. <laughs> yeah, it was terrific. And thank you to, uh, there are a lot of people in here I know who played a, had a hand in that. Um, that was just stellar. It was it was cool to see how much stuff we collected, how many people came through. We had a lot of big ticket items that all sold. Um, so if you haven't heard, um, there is still some stuff down in the Life Center. Um, and at this point, we're we're next week we're going to get it to other charities that will be able to to um, sell that as well. But um, you are free and welcome and invited to go down and shop the the uh, Life Center. And if you find something you like, hey, our pricing is very liberal at this point. Make a donation. I don't care what it is. You you pick and decide. So if you find something you just can't live without, like maybe something you brought in and shouldn't have or something. Because <laughs> I know where all of it came from. Okay. Um, Okay, <laughs> there you go. There you go. We can slip that right in there with the deposit. All right. Um, yeah, so there's that. Next week is the block party after the late service, which means next week is also a casual day. You can wear jeans to, to church next week if you want. You can wear shorts to church next week if you want. Um, so, you know, come prepared for that because we'll have the block party after the late service. We'll be outside. We'll have hot dogs and hamburgers and all kind of stuff. We'll have games. The the journeymen are helping to set up games for us. Uh, we'll just have all kinds of stuff going on, and it's a great chance. I think it's the first time since COVID that we've had a chance to come together and actually have that kind of fellowship event. So all y'all plan to be there, okay? Yes, Judy. Can you bring food, too? Um, probably talk to talk to Retha. I think she's got a plan. I don't know Isn't what there it a is. In See, these things happen, and I don't know nothing about them. Um, <laughs> quite likely, there is one. Yeah. So check in the narthex. There's probably a sign-up sheet telling you what to bring based on your name. Yeah. I, I'm so out of touch. <laughs> what else is going on? Um, I, I, that's all that's on my head. I don't know. Um, confirmation class, if anybody has a 7th or an 8th grader, um, they are due for confirmation class. Um, we have an informational session on Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. down in the chapel. Um, so if you have a 7th or 8th grader, be there or be square or whatever. <laughs> what else? Any other questions about anything? 
All right. We, yeah. So in terms of lessons, because I know you got multiple sheets floating around, um, we're on lesson 24 is the number in the top right corner. However, I went ahead and burned off um, 25 for us just in case. You know, sometimes we cover one question, sometimes we cover 10. Um, we've got we've got three kind of questions, but they're in multiple parts, so we'll see how we go. Um, any other questions before we jump in? Um, our devotion to start today. Oh, I, there's one other thing. Um, Y'all are going to have to join me in this. If you weren't aware, today is John Thompson's 80th birthday. So, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear John. Happy birthday to you. I've had a month of birthdays. <laughs> I mean, it's all month, all month long. The first weekend, my son took me fishing. Second weekend we did something. Last weekend it was a mistake that everybody, everybody thought it was my birthday last Sunday because of the altered flowers. So today I got another birthday and it's great. Nice, nice. The older you get, the more days you can use. You know, so my dad just had a birthday too. Um, he's 84. But he said that it has been statistically proven that birthdays are good for you. Yeah. Right, no, they've done research, and what they found out is the more birthdays you have, the longer you live. Oh. So, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Government research. Oh, I'm certain of that. <laughs> Promoted by whichever party you hate. So. We do a lot of research our house when Bill's here, but we heard something that the drought this year is the most severe drought in 1,200 years. Right? Wow. Yes. Yeah. And so I asked Bill, how did we keep records back then? He says the Joshua tree. He looked it up last night, and it's the Joshua tree. Turn up. Yeah. Interesting. I like it. So there's a joke about California. No, they, really? They, oh, sorry. They spend all their money, uh, they collect it, right? They have leftovers. Oh, yeah. And so they ask California because California tends to be foolish a lot of times, especially the uh, <laughs> politicians. And they said, well, why don't you use it to build um, um, uh, those desalination plants? Oh, yeah. But it has Is that the joke or what? <laughs> <laughs> it's an ongoing joke about politicians. It hasn't done on them. Yeah, right. And it's not like they're close to the ocean or anything. So, wait. <laughs> they, have they have 880 miles of, of, of coastline. coastline. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, we're going to begin with a, a devotion. As usual, this is from the book By Faith Alone. It's a series of devotions written by Martin Luther. And there's just one for every day of the year, and we just kind of go with whatever today's is. So for August 21st, Mark chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. Um, evil thoughts, sexual sins, stealing, murder, adultery, greed, 
wickedness, cheating, shameless lust, envy, cursing, arrogance, and foolishness come from within a person. The title of this is The Evil Within Us. Whether a person believes it or not, no agony, pain, or burden could be worse than feeling all of the evil that lies within himself. The evil he doesn't feel is even greater and worse than the wickedness he does sense. For if a person were able to feel all of his evil, he would get a taste of what hell is like. So when the all-powerful God disciplines us in his mercy, he only shows us our lesser evils. He knows that if he shows us all of our wickedness, we'd be ruined. We'd die in an instant. According to the author of Hebrews, God shows us some of the evil within us as a part of fatherly instruction or discipline. He severely disciplines everyone he accepts as his child, Hebrews 12, 6, which, by the way, is one of the readings today. By showing us our lesser evils and disciplining us, God wants to drive out the greater evils so that we will never have to see them. As Proverbs says, foolishness is firmly attached to a child's heart. Spanking will remove it far from him, Proverbs 22:15. 15. <laughs> I don't know that the modern zeitgeist would stick with that. but um, Isn't it true that devout and faithful parents experience more suffering, grief, and distress when their children become thieves or are otherwise bad than if their children were wounded? Faithful parents would much rather severely discipline their children than allow them to become bad. What prevents us from feeling all the evil within us? God has established matters so that people won't die by seeing the evil in their innermost self. So God is the one who hides our wickedness from us. He wants us to see it only through the eyes of faith. Let's pray. Gracious Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the discipline that you give to us, um, for the ways that you instruct us and grow us. Um, You have said that you love us just the way we are, but you've also said that you're not going to leave us there, that you want us to be more like Jesus. And so that whole process of sanctification works on us through our entire lives to make us more and more like Jesus as we live. We uh, thank you for the faith that you have given to us, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather around your word and to learn from it, to be strengthened and built up by it. We pray that your spirit would be with us to open our eyes and our hearts to know it and to understand it um, and to be drawn closer to you by our study today. All of it we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, like I said, um, you should have a sheet that has the number 24 in the top right corner. Um, It covers Revelation 27 through 15. Um, We've covered a big chunk of this, um, looking at, you know, we're kind of beginning to wind down in Revelation or, or come to the big conclusion if you want. Um, I'm waiting for my stuff to boot up here and then I'll read it. We're going to look at, um, we'll read that passage, Revelation 27 through 15, talk a little bit about that. And then if we have time, we'll get into the next lesson, um, number 25. So please stand by. We are experiencing technical difficulties. (laughs) The IT guy. Yeah, right? <laughs> of all people. Revelation 20. Okay. 
Revelation 20, verses 7 to 15. I'm going to read from Christian Standard Bible this time, just so we get a little bit different translation. Um, When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They came up across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the encampment of the saints, the beloved city. And then fire came down from heaven and consumed them. The devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence and no place was found for them. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, And the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Here ends the reading. Um, so we're, I think we're on question number 12, assuming that my numbers are correct this time. Um, what is meant by this picture of death and Hades being thrown into the lake of fire? You can take a stab at it, but we've got um, four verses to kind of poke at it and look at it. The lake of fire is the second death. I think that's mm-hmm. a major thing. Meaning what? We talked about that first death and second death last time. You remember? Right. So what, what was the second death? Oh, the second death was the being thrown into the lake of fire, and your name had anyone's name not found written in the book of life. It was thrown into the Okay, and so what did that represent? Do you remember? As we yeah. talked about, and the, hell, yeah, there you go. Yeah, so the second death, first death is physical death, right? Second death then is eternal condemnation, thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, um, is, a, is metaphorical for eternal condemnation. Okay. Um, Yeah. All right, so Revelation 20, verse 14, which we just heard, death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So here, death and Hades represent all the evil that's left in the world. I mean, as as we've got this judgment happening here, death and Hades are kind of like the last of the evil, and they're thrown into the lake of fire. It's a picture of um, really the entirety of unbelievers being cast into hell. Okay. What about 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26? The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Ooh. So given that and this death and Hades kind of being the last thing thrown into it, where are we in the timeline of the judgment at this point? We're at the end, right? I mean, this is, this is, yeah, this is just about over. It's the mopping up operation. Right? <laughs> and this is the final thing. 1 Corinthians 15 54. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Okay. So. And that passage, by the way, we use a lot of times at funerals. <laughs> you know, kind of pointing to what our final hope is. 
this idea that death is swallowed up in victory. Um, so death, what you know, this. I mean, we think about how death kind of is the ultimate enemy in the way we think about things, right? Because we tend to have a very worldly perspective on things. And so, so often, you know, our faith kind of gets shifted to the side and we think, oh, you know, death is the end. But this opens up that picture to understand that death isn't the end, it's that second death that's the end, or, or the beginning of eternity, either in hell or in God's presence. And I think that we're looking at it from the viewpoint of the survivors. We're not looking at what death is and where where we're headed at that point. We're still living and we're Yeah. Yeah. So we well, that's one of the reasons because we see death as the thing that has taken somebody away from us that we love. Right? So we 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 see the power of death. I've often said you know, funeral sermons are easy. Funeral sermons are simple because I don't have to talk about law. I don't really have to get into law because law is lying in a casket in front of you at the, at the front of the, of the sanctuary. Everybody gets it. I mean, everybody has walked into the room understanding that the wages of sin is death and the, the reason that death exists is because of sin having come into the world. There was no death before the fall. Thank you, Adam and Eve. That's where death came from. And so, you know, a funeral sermon, we get to sort of, I mean, the law's already been dealt with. I don't have to dig into that. We can talk about the gospel and we can talk about Jesus and what he's done for us and how important Jesus was to the person who died and why death isn't the end, right? Um, what about Isaiah 25, verse 8? We'll jump into the Old Testament. Yeah, Lynn. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. I love that. You know, Isaiah wrote that 750 years before Jesus was on the scene, and yet how consistent it is. Lynn, what were you going to say? Add verse 7 to that. Verse 7. Go. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheep that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Yeah, so yeah, death is a sheet that covers up. That's cool. That's really vivid. Neat. All right, thoughts? I mean, what we're poking at here, so this picture of death and Hades being thrown into the lake of fire and looking at these different verses, in all of these, what you see is this final victory of God over all of his enemies. And death is the last one. Um, and he completely defeats it. And the final implications are all the same. Death is and will remain the final enemy to be faced by each individual. We're not talking about temporal death, but eternal death, okay? And that's going to be the last thing that we have to face. For those of us who are in Christ, who cares, right? Your name's in the book of life, so you, that's not going to be a problem. Bill? You know, all of us that come to church all the time, mm -hmm. hear this all the time, mm -hmm. go to those sermons that are at those funerals you were talking sure. about. Sure, yeah. We lose perspective yeah. on how profound this is. Yeah. Uh, talk to a Muslim about grace. Foreign concept. Yeah. Because there is no grace in Islam. Right. There's there's judgment, and if your good outweighs your bad, then you live, and if it doesn't, then you die. Right. Uh, talk to the other billions of people on the planet who believe that you're dead. It's over. Yeah. Done. Mm -hmm. Okay? Right. 
all of those people that believe in materialism and postmodernism that is in America today don't have our perspective. Right. Death, death in front of the church casket, you know, the first death, right. it's a doorway. Yeah. And it's a doorway to victory and liberty and freedom and perfection and everlasting unity. And that perspective, we, we forget how profound it is. We don't always remember the joy of death. Yeah. Which is, you know, those two words being so close together in a sentence kind of mess with you. But the joy of death, because we we're no longer here. We're transcended into eternity with our Lord. Yeah. Is it First Thessalonians four? Paul writes some really cool stuff about that. Um, yeah, it's First Thessalonians chapter four, verse thirteen. Paul says, "I don't. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And when he says asleep, he means dead. Okay." Um, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And, and that's what he's getting at, right? Is that, is that for a Christian, our grief over a fellow Christian who has died is different. Because we understand and we perceive death, physical death, in a very different way. That, that we know that there is more beyond, there's more to the story beyond that that comes at the, at the final judgment when Jesus returns in judgment with the books and the book. <laughs> and the book is the book of life, and the book of life is, is those who have come to faith, who have been baptized and who have not rejected this gift of salvation. And the books are the book of the deeds of everything that anyone has done. And if you have said no to the to the gift of faith that was offered to you by Christ. If you have rejected that, then you stand before God and he says, all right, cool, let's see how things went. And contrary to the, Bill, you were talking about the Muslim view of it, right? If my good outweighs my bad, you know, like these giant scales of justice or some dumb thing like that. That's not how it works because scripture is pretty clear that the, the standard that you're held to is perfection. Right? If you've fallen one point in the law, you've broken it all. So it's not, <laughs> did, you know, is there a little bit more good than there was bad? The, the standard is, is there nothing but good? That's the only way you could come out through works righteousness, and all of us fail that test. And, and so, you know, how do you want to be judged in the end? Christ has said, hey, here's my righteousness. I'm going to give it to you. I've taken the punishment for all of your sins. I'm going to give you my righteousness in return. And all you got to do, and even that he's going to do for you, is believe. You just got to believe the promise. And, and the only way you do that is that God brings you to that belief. Or you can say, go pound sand. I don't need your help. <laughs> and if you do, there's only one outcome. And it's awesome. So yeah, we have a different perspective, and I think you're right that we we hear it so often that we tend to underestimate how important it is and how big that news is. Um, 
what's meant by the picture of earth and sky fleeing from the Lord's presence? And I'm going to switch over to ESV now. Um, in Revelation 20, verse 11. Um, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. Somebody want to take a stab at that before we look at 2 Peter chapter 3? You don't have to. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Actually, yeah. I think that's exactly right. Let's look at 2 Peter, but I think you're right on. Um, 2 Peter chapter 3, 10 through 12. So the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. How far am I going? 12. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? So, the annihilation of heaven and earth, right? It's gone. <laughs> now we're going to get into this in a minute. Revelation is going to talk about a new heaven and a new earth where everything is going to be made perfect again. It's sort of a recreation. But at the end, what's being described here, and the reason we go to, to 2 Peter is because it's elsewhere in Scripture too, is that this world at the end will be destroyed. Okay? Ken? Question. Yeah? Yeah. Somewhere it's written that they saw uh, the new Jerusalem coming down yeah. and it will come down in Israel or on, yeah. a, on a mountain. And that is supposed to represent heaven. Well, yeah, yeah. So yes and no. <laughs> I make a distinction, okay? I would say heaven is probably best used to describe the interim state. So when I die, I know that I will be with Christ. Absolutely. Today you will be with me in paradise, right? That's what he says to the thief on the cross. And I will be, the scripture uses the phrase asleep in Christ or asleep or however you want to put that until judgment day, until the end, when Christ returns. Whether I'm cognizant of the passing of time, I have no idea. We don't, we don't, scripture doesn't say a lot about it. But there's this period of time where we're in paradise with Christ awaiting the final judgment. And I, I call that heaven. Because at the final judgment then, Christ comes back, there's the judgment, the separation, the sheep and the goats, all that kind of business. And then heaven and earth are destroyed and there's a new heaven and a new earth created, and that's where we will be resurrected. Okay? So that I consider the new creation. And, and if you've read Chad Bird or any of his stuff, he has a great turn of phrase. He said, heaven's great, but I can't wait to get out of it. <laughs> and, and it's that kind of thinking, because the idea then is heaven is that interim state until the new heaven and the new earth are ready for me to be there and to be bodily resurrected to live in the new heaven and the new earth where everything works the way it's supposed to, right? Where there is not 
heat waves and 1200 year droughts and hurricanes and all of that other stuff where all of it works the way it was meant to work that's going to be what we get to live in in our resurrection in the new heaven and the new earth bill Interestingly, the, the Catholics call that purgatory. <laughs> entirely different. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Totally upside yeah. down, yeah. Totally upside down. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Somebody else had a hand over here. Yeah, Somebody Lynn. I think in Revelation we get different pictures of heaven. So one yeah. picture or one vision is Jerusalem, the new city, the Coming city, down. streets of gold, the pearly gates. Then in another vision, we get the new heaven and a new earth. So it's different perspectives from different views yeah. of the same thing. Yeah. So to try to make it all fit, really, we don't need to. Right. It's just different ways of looking at the same picture with different descriptions. And it's not so, like we've encountered that before in Revelation. <laughs> so the new Jerusalem is another way of saying the new heavens and the earth. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Coming down from... So we're talking about coming down, and I think that that's, that's a biblical way of speaking about something that comes from God. Because we just sort of, as a rhetorical device, I guess, we sort of place God in the heavens above us. Which kind of makes sense. I mean, we, you know, a lot of what Scripture is about is understanding this distinction between God and creation. God is God, I am not... I'm his creature, and and knowing, understanding that is sort of the beginning of understanding, you know, everything. Well, like, he, what's my relationship to God? Well, he's the creator. I'm just the creation. He has to talk in terms that we can understand. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So he says that the heaven is 1,500 miles wide, yeah. depth, and height. Yeah, but he's talking about stadia, and I don't even understand that. No. <laughs> You know, but I mean, yeah. cubits and stadia. Oh, we'll all fit. But you're you're exactly right. Yeah. Somebody needs to do a a geographical analysis and make sure that we can all get in there. What were you gonna say, Linda? Uh, my brother. Uh -huh. He's 68 years old. Okay. My best friend, and one of my sons, uh, they walked away from the Lord a while ago. Okay. Um, but Bill was baptized, was baptized in 1962. They believe he was baptized the second time. Okay. And Kevin was baptized when he was a Baptist, but now they're non-believers. Where do they stand here? Well, I mean, so, I, I'm, I don't know. <laughs> Ultimately, that's a heart thing that only God knows. Um, but, but. Outwardly, at least, it would seem as though, from what you described, that's somebody who has rejected the gift. Um, and so you remember, Scripture Scripture's funny about it. It says there's only one unforgivable sin. And, and it describes it as the sin against the Holy Spirit, which really boils down to saying no to the gift. All right? So the Spirit shows you this amazing gift of salvation by grace, meaning it's completely undeserved, through faith that is trusting in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And, and while we cannot say yes to that, our sinful nature wouldn't allow us, um, we can say no to it. So the only way we come to faith is that the Holy Spirit reaches down and grabs a hold of us and says, you know, oh my gosh, that's true. <laughs> you know, and 
So what you describe as somebody who has at some point come to faith and then decided to reject it. Um, again, I don't know actually where those people stand because that's between them and God and faith is a, is a heart thing. Um, so the reason that Scripture says that the only unforgivable sin is the, is the sin against the Holy Spirit is because of what we talked about with the books, right? That your salvation, today in the, in the gospel, we talk about entering through the narrow door. <laughs> the narrow door is Jesus. There's only one way to the Father, and it's through Jesus Christ, and it's through trusting in him. So if you say no to that, then, then you're going to ultimately in the final judgment, whether you believe it or not, by the way, you're going to stand on your own merits, on what you have done or not done, and you're going to fail in that. So that's a terrifying place to be, I guess, is, is probably what that boils down to. Something else is rejection of the Holy Spirit. There are people who are out there that are like, yeah, I went to church when I was a kid. I don't want any part of that. You know, they're, they're stopping you. They're putting a wall in front of you when you try and talk to it. You, we don't know how they truly. Right. Maybe they've been hurt by somebody in the church. Right. And they're what they're what they're talking against is the church and not faith and not God. Yeah. Good point. And that's why that's good we point. we can never guess whether somebody's going to go to heaven or hell because we don't know what they truly <clears throat> feel inside. Right. Well, but the thing is, if and it's hard. When, how do we, how do we experience joy and rejoice? Yeah. Right. So, and well, and there's there's two pieces of that because, yeah, that's the one unforgivable sin, but it's also not, not reversible. <laughs> there's there's always the possibility to stop rejecting and to actually allow the Holy Spirit to do His thing, and to come to faith mm-hmm. even after somebody has fallen away. The only, the only thing that stops that, the, the only even up to the point of death. There you go. <laughs> you may never know. I mean, we've known people who say they aren't believers; they don't want to talk about it, and then they pass away, and it's like you don't know what happened. Right. Up until that last moment of death, they may have may have said, you know, it, it's all there. That's why it's important to have kids in church because if you give them that base, they've always got it. Yeah. And they walk away from it for a while, but they've got that. Can you witness something? Yeah. Oh. What about critical care for 45 years? Uh-huh. So in the old days, we didn't use tubes and sedatives and things like that quite as quickly. And uh, I've had several instances of these near-death experiences. All of them are good, except for one. That's very rare to hear about something like that. When someone does a clinical death, they're cold and their limbs are mottled. That's normal, because all the blood has to go to the center, to the core, to the brain. In this one instance, we were doing our job, and when somebody noticed that from the knees down, this fellow had bright red legs. Never saw them before. They were bright. So he was 
resuscitated. And when he came back around, he grabbed a nurse by his shirt. And there weren't a lot of men nurses back then. He just grabbed him by the shirt and thought, oh my God, get hit, you know. And he said, and I was working in a Christian hospital. And he said, I want a preacher. I need a preacher now. I want a preacher. And I want him here now. So we had a chaplain who was a retired minister. Thank goodness it wasn't just a chaplain. It was actual retired ordained minister. And sweetest man you ever met. And he went into this cubicle. And of course, all of us young people, you know, were hanging out outside those glass doors. Listening. <laughs> there was no HIPAA back then. And we're all listening to this. And uh, he looks at the, he goes, are you really a minister? And he goes, yeah, I am. And uh, he said, okay, I want to be saved. Now this is a Baptist, mm -hmm. okay, Baptist uh, area. Mm -hmm. He said, I want to be saved, and I want to be saved right now. <laughs> We're all looking around with big eyes, you know, like, what's he going to do? And so they, they, he said, okay, all right, well, he said, it was terrible. He says, well, tell, tell me what happened. And he said, well, I died. And he said, yeah, yeah, you did. He said, well, there were some fires of hell at the foot of my bed, and my feet were burning. And the devil stood there and said, you're mine, and you're going with me. And we're like, whoa. <laughs> this guy hallucinating or what? And he said, and I said, no. And I woke up. Wow. <laughs> and he said, I want to know how to believe. And we all left. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, did he start believing? I hope so. Sounds like it. <laughs> I think so. I'll end the story. Right. <laughs> did, did he become an elder in his church or what? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, sometimes God takes a sledgehammer to you. Sometimes, yeah. So I was, um, when I was a vicar, and, and for those of you who don't know, the, the path to become a pastor in the LCMS um, involves three years of residential study at the seminary. It's two years there, and then you have a third year of vicarage, which is like a student, an internship, yeah, where you serve at a congregation alongside a pastor, and then you come back for a fourth year and they fix you or whatever. Um, but, um, so I was a vicar in um, St. Charles, Missouri, great big church, but we had um, a, a guy come into the office one day and he was a member of the church, and he said, um, I need a pastor to come to the hospital um, because my dad has just received a cancer diagnosis, and he's got a lot of questions about life and death and salvation and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> all the other pastors were busy, and they were like, Longman, take it. <laughs> so, so I went to the hospital, and I visited with this guy, and we had a great conversation. He had some very, very deep questions. Um, about salvation. He had been sort of on the perimeter of, of the church for most of his life, but clearly kind of was always a skeptic. Um, but with a, a diagnosis of stage four cancer, brain cancer, you know, he was all of a sudden really serious about wanting to run this stuff to ground. And we had a, a long conversation. I was probably in his room for an hour. Um, and at the end of that conversation, he said, I want to be baptized. And I said, 
I am not the pastor, <laughs> but I'll find out. <laughs> so I went back and I talked to the pastor, and the pastor was like, baptize him. <laughs> Go do it. So the next day, I took the church secretary as our witness, and I went to the hospital, and I baptized this guy in the hospital. Um, and over the course of the next six months or so, um, I worked with him one-on-one -on -one to go through the catechism. And basically, we, we did confirmation class together. Um, and at the end of that, I actually got to serve in communion and brought him into the church. And then when he passed away, I got to do his funeral. Um, but, you know, it was neat to see that entire process from baptism through confirmation, through, you know, first communion, through death, all in a... In a compacted period of time and I got to be a part of all of it which is really cool yes Lynn I have a story I'm all short of it it could be an 80 year old woman said I'm not going to church I'm never going to go to church you can't talk me into it I said came to the point where she wanted to be baptized she wanted to be going to church and she was in church every Sunday wow <laughs> so the Holy Spirit does amazing things and that's, I think that's the important point. Is what does the Holy Spirit do? Because it's above yeah. our pay grade. Right? Yeah, way above our, way above our pay grade. But the Holy Spirit can do some pretty amazing things. She had been and switched as a child by her parents, taking her to Sunday school. And they would drop her off and not go to church and come back and pick her up. So to her, Sunday school was punishment. Oh, wow. If she didn't go, it was going to be a switch across the back of the legs. Right. So it was a very negative thing in her life. For another 70, 80 years, whatever it yeah. was, I'm never going to go to church, and you can't convince me otherwise. But the Spirit can. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Cool. So there's still hope. Yeah. There's still hope. Pray for him. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what we can do is to pray and to you know let them see you know what it means to you and what your experience is with it. Um, it looks like my son Kevin is coming around. Cool. Good. He's thinking he wants to go back to church, so that's good news. It is good. He likes Baptist. That's because that's Colorado. That's all hey, good. if it's a place where he meets Jesus, that's a real good place to start. But Phil is a tough nut to crack. Yeah. And part of it is he is a brilliant mind, successful as any, very well off. He's got it all. Yeah. And he's got it all figured out, right? It was mostly in the like 80s and 90s, a very common way of doing outreach was that you go walk neighborhoods and you know knock on the door. Hi, we're here from Holy Trinity. We want to invite you to come to worship, whatever. And, and the hardest place to do that was in wealthy neighborhoods. Very friendly people, you know, but usually the response was something along the lines of, okay, that's awesome. I know where the church is. If I ever need anything, I'll come. Because, you know, for, for folks who are well off, and this is a generalization, obviously, I understand, but um, they tend to believe, hey, I've figured all this out, I've done it, I've got it under control, it's all good. And, and you know, it's, there's a deeper problem that, that Christ is actually offering to deal with. And it's sometimes hard to see that. Um, so that, that, yeah, well, yeah, it's, and it's, the, it's this, sinful nature that we've inherited from Adam that, that colors our perception of everything. Mm -hmm. one, of, one of the chief problems of having sufficient wealth mm -hmm. is that we feel we're in control. Mm -hmm. Okay? The more right. wealth you have, the more control you have. Right. Right. So, and the converse is also true. 
the less wealth you have. The more you realize you're not in charge, and the more you need the Lord. Right. right. For you, why do you think Jesus went to the poor? <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely, yeah. Because they needed that hope, and they needed that understanding. It's true. Although maybe it was the wealthy who really needed it. What was it he said? I, I didn't come... I didn't, it, it's... <laughs> I'm, you know what I'm trying to come up with. A physician? Yeah, yeah. I didn't come for those who have no need of the the well have no need of a physician but the sick or something like that. And and the undercurrent of the whole thing was, hey, by the way, you're all sick. <laughs> you know, you may not think it or feel it or realize it, but you desperately need it. Yeah. All right. Other thoughts. There's. Go ahead. Historically, I read a lot about religious history, and in the religions prior to Christianity. The poor were left out. Mm. They were not included to the religion because if you were poor, you had done it. It was your fault. Uh-huh. And you were never going to be accepted. And it was only when Jesus Christ came that he ministered to the poor to say, You're mine. You're fine. <laughs> Everything will be okay. If not here, there. You know, the modern version of that is, is prosperity theology, yeah. right? Yeah. That says, I mean, essentially the, the message is you know where you stand with God by how he has blessed you, blessed you in terms of stuff. Our right? country, too. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's a predominant thought process in the country. So where I stand with God is a function of how much stuff God has given me, right? Which... I mean, that's a really weird way to think about it because, well, I don't have a Mercedes, so I'm probably not doing right by God, or I got to pray harder, or something like that. And it's like, wow, that's no, that's not. God loved the world so much that He sent His Son to die for like all of you. I mean, it's not. It wasn't based on how much stuff you had. And, you know, you want an example of it? It's Jesus sitting outside of the temple. So the way they did offerings at the temple was they had these um, receptacles where people could throw their offerings in and they'd all kind of trickled down into the treasury in the temple. So so you had these big, you know, kind of scoopy looking things. I guess it was like going through the the, um, the turnstile at a, on a toll road or something. But, but you know, basically you, you, you chuck your money in and it all goes down into the treasury. And so here's, there's this picture of Jesus sitting outside of the, of the treasure, you're just kind of watching. <laughs> you know, he's just sitting back on him. Oh, what's going on here? Watching how people put money in. And a lot of wealthy people put a whole lot of money in, and that was cool. Um, and then he's got this widow who comes up with two little mites, little pennies, and she chucks them in there. And, and what I love about this, that you don't capture very well in the English. And, and this was an aha moment I had when I learned Greek, was... That the phrase that Jesus says is that he, I think the way we translate it is, um, this, you know, the wealthy people put all kinds of stuff in there and that's awesome. But this woman put in everything that she had, um, for her life, all she had for her life or something like that. But the Greek, if you're like really digging into the Greek, the Greek says she put her whole life in there. So, so think about it in the, in the sense of, like this was all the money that she had, and when she throws it in there, she's trusting that somebody's going to feed her. That's the picture that you get, mm-hmm. and that's the the trust that he's commending as um, 
positive to say, hey, God's going to cover me. He's got me. It's okay. Um, I'm going to throw that in there. And, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, all that kind of stuff. And it can be twisted to the weirdest kinds of stewardship sermons that is what also happens in these prosperity gospel kind of places. But, but the gift is that God came to those of us who were poor in spirit and sent his son to give us his own righteousness so that when we die, we stand before God and all he sees is Jesus. He doesn't see all my flaws and all my shortcomings and all my failures and all the things that I don't do well and all the ways that I fail in stewardship of everything that he's given me. All he sees is Jesus. I always think about when he was getting his disciples together. Yeah. And he just told them to leave everything. Don't. Yeah, right. Don't take anything. Wait, with what? <laughs> Not even the toothbrush. <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. All right. Um, the last question, and this, the timing worked out pretty good. Um, how has this study of Revelation 20 influenced your perception of the Christian spiritual life? Anybody want to talk about that? Pastor. Even though we die, yet shall we live. Yeah. <laughs> cool. We're going to talk today, if you haven't been to church yet, we're going to talk about running the race. And that's what Hebrews is all about, because that came up in our devotion. The whole thing about Hebrews is, is hey, you got stuff to do here, and it's sort of a coaching session. We'll talk more about that. But yeah, even though death is going to be there, yet shall we live. Any other thoughts, comments? Complaints, you know, whatever. I just found out how much progress. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love it. Uh, I'm, I'm now reading Paradise um, Lost. Oh. Which is deep as <laughs> Yeah, yeah, deep stuff. But it's it's like reading anything C.S. Lewis wrote, you know. Yeah. Did you read that? Screw tape letters? Yeah. It's excellent. It's but it's another one of those is super dense. I mean, you've got to like, yeah. you got to be focused and in the zone. As far as our yeah. 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 Well, and Jesus said it. He goes, "Hey, in this life, you're gonna have trouble." But take heart, I've overcome the world. So, Jim. so is there much we know about the degrees of hell where it says those who, who knew Christ and rejected it, it will be worse for them until we have infants and those who never had an opportunity? Is there, yeah, I, I don't know that there's much scripturally about anything like that. And I, you know, I mean, that's an interesting question. An infant, right, who dies before they had an opportunity to hear the gospel or whatever. I, my, my take on that is always to, to err on the side of grace. Um, you know, and, and we know that children can certainly hear while they're in their womb. I, I'll give you a great example of that. When my daughter Emily was born, um, I had stepped out of the room. There's a whole other story that I'll tell you some other time. But I had stepped out of the room to tell the family that she had been born. And when I came back in, I walked in. There was a you know great big kind of recovery room or whatever. And I walked in and, and I said something to the nurse. And Emily across the room went. <laughs> and, and it was like, ooh, I know that voice. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, there's a sense that, that certainly even infants in the womb may have heard the gospel. 
and, and come to faith. Um, but it's one of those things that Scripture really doesn't talk about. And, and so all I can do is lean on kind of what I do know about God and, and who he is and kind of the fact that he is a loving and caring God. Um, but I, Lynn, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't, I don't think Scripture really talks. The, the way I look at it, that's, you know, he said it would be worse for those who rejected Jesus and his presence on earth. It would be worse for them than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah and yeah. Tyre and Sidon. Yeah. The, only way I, the way I look at that is the way hell will be worse for them is that they knew they had the chance yeah. and rejected it. So they'll know more what they missed versus the ones that in ignorance yeah. or whatever unbelief. They didn't have that opportunity or whatever. But the ones that were there with Jesus' presence and witnesses, miracles, hell is going to be that much worse for them. Yeah, because they know what they missed out on. Right. Because there's a layer of regret. In addition to the punishment that's going on, is this whole layer of regret that I didn't have to be here. Yeah. 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 I mean, you want to read some deep stuff on that. Look, um, C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce, is just fabulous. Um, because he kind of takes it apart and... and the way he comes at it is this idea that, you know, everybody who's in hell is, it, it's just sort of this gray, mundane, lifeless existence. And they can't even comprehend how amazing heaven is. And so when they get a little taste of it, they're like, oh, I, I don't even know what to do with that. Um, yeah, so I, that's, short answer is I don't, I don't know the scripture talks much about that. And it's, it's interesting, but we don't have much an, to answer. Sorry. But do you think that when you get to hell, that you I'm not going to get to hell. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Someone gets to hell. Do you think that they really are thinking about what did I do wrong? I don't see any thinking going on there. Uh, that's just my. Yeah. Yeah. So on the last day, everybody's going to know Jesus. Yeah. All. Yeah. Right. Every knee will bow. Now that's what it's going to be. Every knee. When you die, go to hell. <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's on Judgment Day when the people are like, oh, that was real? <laughs> yeah. Robert, last word. Um, everyone was talking around um, hell and heaven. And all yeah. And, uh, Paul wrote in one of his uh, writings, he says that um, this one guy died and went to hell. Yeah. That's right. And um, he Let saw his, 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 um, his neighbor. Yeah. And he, his, his neighbor was... Uh, Lazarus. Lazarus. And, yeah. and um, he says, Lazarus, give him some water. And he uh, well, he didn't get any water. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was a great chasm the, fixed between them. The big gulp. Right, the big gulp. So his, uh, his, his, his sons and his, his brothers and sisters were still alive. And he right. says, hey, Lazarus, could you tell them to uh, what's the, uh, yeah. how hell is all about and what, what it's all about and, and uh, Oh, you're not going to get in the water. Yeah. Yeah. Abraham. Well, and he goes, hey, you know, if they got Moses and the prophets, and if they don't believe that, somebody coming back from the dead is not going to convince them. And by the way, who comes back from the dead? Jesus. Right? So, all right. Thank you, everybody. Um, we will pick up. We'll actually start Lesson 25 next time around. Um, we, we got a goal. We're going to finish all of this stuff. by the Huh? We're going to move to a new chapter. Um, again, block party next week, casual day. You can come casual. Um, I'm, I'm going to say it in here because when I'm sitting here, Pam, 
And, and my wife Donna painted that hallway that goes from the narthex all the way down to the Life Center this weekend. You should check it out. It looks amazing to walk down there. Thank you, because that was a huge job. So thank you for that. So many people stepping up and doing stuff, and I really appreciate it. Um, God bless you all. Let me say a quick prayer. Um, thank you, Lord God, for all the blessings that you give to us, especially the gift of faith. We pray that uh, as we go forth from here, you would um, give us words to speak to others and, and things to do that they might see your love through us and come to understand and to know um, who you are and the amazing gift of, of salvation that we have through your son, Jesus Christ. So guide and lead us in all that we do, that it would be pleasing to you and bring glory to your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week.